Hey y'all, this is EVA from Woke Woke Docs. Just here to say that we hope all of our listeners are out there staying safe and healthy during these kind of crazy times right now. I know in the midst of all this uncertainty and just chaos, it can be really easy to get overwhelmed. And we just hope that you're finding ways to restore yourself, whether that's through meditation, prayer, listening to music, going out for a run. Take the time you need to make sure that you are at peace and that you can get through the day. Take as much time as you need and just please social distance, wash your hands. And thanks for tuning in, guys. We hope that you're doing well and we're thinking of you and we're sending our love. Hey y'all, I'm Nicole. I'm Bernie. And I'm Evie. And you're listening to Woke Woke Docs, a podcast about the lives of women of color in medicine and health justice. Today we have the enormous privilege and excitement to talk with Dr. Alicia Fernandez, a professor of medicine, general internist at San Francisco General Hospital, and the director of UCSF's Latinx Center for Excellence. In addition, Alicia does research on increasing language concordance between patients and physicians to improve patient care and health outcomes, among many other topics. In this episode, we talk with Alicia more about her journey into and through medicine, including her immigration journey from Argentina to the United States at age 15, transitioning from political activism to health justice in the heart of the HIV AIDS epidemic to where she is now, a clinician, professor, mentor, and advocate for underrepresented and marginalized communities. All three of us have been incredibly grateful to Alicia for creating amazing programs for minority students here at UCSF that help us navigate academic medicine in ways that expand knowledge and mentorship on how to succeed and more fully show up as our true authentic selves. So stay woke, y'all, and thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, ladies, I'm so happy to be back with you guys. I'm so happy. I'm actually, I was so happy to be back in the studio after like a month. <laughs> and I was like re-listening to our episode and I was like, wow, a month has gone by. A lot has happened, y'all. A lot has <laughs> happened. Um, well, we'll get into that, <laughs> a little bit more of that later. For now, let's start our check-in question. And our check-in question today is going to be, what is one of your favorite places to eat in the city or Bay Area? I will go first. I recently went to Limon, which is Peruvian food, right? Peruvian food. And it was absolutely delicious. They're known for their chicken and having like, you get a half chicken, a whole chicken and with some sides. We had, we got a half chicken. We got some. Okay. So we had um, sweet potato fries. And then also we wanted to do their like green beans, but they were out. They're like, oh, it's not the season or something like that. Like we have zucchini. And me and the person that I went with both do not like zucchini, but we were like, we were like, you know what? Let's try it. This guy was like, the zucchini is so good. It's so good. We're like, maybe we'll be converted. We were converted. It was actually delicious. We ate every single last piece of that zucchini and the surf and turf, like bowl, like clean type thing. Like he was about to take it and there was like three grains of rice left. I was like, no, wait. Um, so yeah, it was absolutely delicious. And I highly recommend Limon to anyone who has never been there before and like lives in the city. And I'm going to pass it to Nicole, favorite place or one of your favorites. My favorite restaurant is Lur's Ross. It's a Thai food place in the Tenderloin. It's also in Hayes Valley and the Mission. Oh, my gosh. Their seafood soup. 
Oh, it's they only they're the only ones in the city that have this particular soup, and it's so so good. And then all of like their pad thai and everything, it's it's just so great. I bring everyone that comes to visit there, and they'll come back again and again. It's bomb. I've heard of this place because I've been there, actually. <laughs> <laughs> when you said that, I was like, wait, why does this place sound so familiar? I went there last month. It was delicious. Yeah. It was really good. It's so okay, good. I was like, hmm, this sounds a little bit too close. To <laughs> wow. I can, so I can bet that. <laughs> Yeah, Bernie. Um, my recent favorite place. Okay, I'm from LA, y'all. So I just okay, we're I, all from LA. I know, Bernie but I get like off. <laughs> I get off on Bay Area food. Okay, anyway, but I do really enjoy Sidewalk Juice. It's like a local um, place with juices and smoothies, and I love their acai bowls. Literally, have had one for every week since the start of 2020. It's <laughs> it's owned by um, a local family who's from the Mission District, and um, they just have different locations, just awesome smoothies, and just like a family-owned um, business. Go support. Go local. And Alicia, we're so glad to have you. What's your favorite restaurant? You came up with this question. We're already learning a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, the place that I go at least once a week is La Taqueria, uh, which mm-hmm. unfortunately makes me very... Uh, cliched in the sense that so many people are now going there that they're ruining it for the rest of us who are going there (laughs) once a week for years. Um, But I was just there uh, two days ago, and it's still um, fantastic and one of my favorite places. What do you get when you're there? I um, get uh, taco al pastor, Uh and I get the carne asada with uh, the salsa verde. So, so you see, we have all recently transitioned to plant-based, but at least for me, I still occasionally dabble. <laughs> no, exactly. It's like I, I've made it so it's like a ninety percent of the time thing. So I actually like count how many meals a month I can get that are, have meat in it. So that way, like if I'm gonna eat meat, I'm gonna eat like good meat. Or I'm gonna eat something really good, and I love tacos. Like, oh my gosh! So I might have to try this out. Okay. So, as you just heard, we have Dr. Alicia Fernandez with us today. She's a professor of medicine at UCSF, a general internist at ZSFGH, and director of the UCSF Latinx Center of Excellence. Yay! We're so happy to have you here. Um, for the listeners out here who don't know anything about UCSF, Alicia Fernandez is like, she's well known in the UCSF community. Yeah. Honestly, like... I've known about her since as soon as we started uh, school. Just being, she's like, no, don't say that. You can't see this. But um, we just have to let you guys know because I feel like she is like, she's a well-known name at UCSF. And she's done a lot for um, like UIM communities and just like uplifting people of color and making sure like they have the resources they need to really uh, succeed and thrive in medicine. And so we're really happy and lucky to have you here. Um, Yeah. And so I think one of the first things we just would love to know about your journey to medicine. Um, well, just- you know, it's interesting that you said that you're all transitioned to a plant-based diet because okay. I'm from Argentina. So that would be a big statement <laughs> for someone from Argentina. There are, Fighting in fact, <laughs> no, no, no. There are, in fact, Argentine vegetarians, um, but, but not so many. <laughs> um, it, you know, we eat a lot of meat. So uh, I have also been trying to eat less meat but it it would be um it would be a push for me to get to a completely or even 90% plant, 
plant-based diet. But So, yeah. So I am from Argentina, and it's actually um, probably one of the most important sort of things about me because for in Argentina of my generation, um, eh, I, I grew up in Argentina during a very difficult time. Uh, during the, I was a high school student um, during um, the military coup, and Argentina um, ended up losing um, thirty thousand people, uh, the most of any country in the Americas, other than Guatemala, and um, which was a, a whole order of magnitude uh, beyond that. Um, but really, it was a a very a terrible time, and that, and and my family ended up uh, having to leave Argentina and go into exile. We ended up in the United States, and I ended up finishing my last year of high school, and then going to college um, um, in the United States. And so, um, that experience is certain very defining of me for me, um, and um, I think. When people say, well, why do you think the way you think or why do you do what you do, it really stems from, I think, that experience and really stems from um, uh, the added challenges, perhaps, to people who um, have survived that sort of a um, time period and, um, and what they then want to do. Um, I don't know how much sense that makes, but it's very, um, it's a very, we were talking uh, as I came in about sort of generational effects, and this is a clear-cut generational effect, and I'm at the very bottom of that generation, only because I, I went to uh, um, a high school that was uh, sort of a model high school, you know, where you had to test to get in type high school, like a magnet high school, I guess mm -hmm. that's the word, um, which was very, um, very political. Uh, um, uh, otherwise, it for people all, somewhat older than I am, but um, um, yeah. So you feel like that move from Argentina to America played a big role in how you you think and like why you wanted to go into medicine? No, it made a big role in why I wanted to do social justice stuff. And in fact, I didn't want to go into medicine because I thought that medicine was like a nice thing to do, but not a social justice thing to do. I thought it was a like a nice but boring thing to do, wow. and that doctors were uh, and health workers were good people, but essentially boring. And I felt that way the entire time that I was. Uh, I I went to uh, I was very fortunate and and went to Yale for my undergrad, and um, I. Uh, I ended up dropping out, going back in, and we can talk about that if you want. But but I but then I um, but I finished when I finished uh, there, I I I wanted to be much more directly political, mm -hmm. and I went and worked for a political magazine. I wanted to be mm -hmm. a public intellectual. Wow. I know. Yeah. I totally can. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You like still you. did that in a different way. Yeah. Well, it's nice of you to say that, um, but that's but you know so that's what I wanted to be, and then unfortunately you know you don't get to sign up and say give me my paycheck. <laughs> 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 this is what I want to be. <laughs> so, 
So I did that, and then I went and I worked at the Center for Constitutional Rights, which is a lefty version of the ACLU, and I uh, did that for a while. And then the HIV crisis hit whole hog. I mean, so this was in the uh, 80s. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, I realized that health is political and that healthcare is political, and who gets sick, and who gets taken care of, and how people think about illness, and how people, what happens, and the social determinants of health, all all of that. Um, It was as if I I was like, oh, I had no idea. And so I very rapidly thought, okay, well, this is a lot more interesting than what I had thought it was. Not would as be boring as you thought. not as boring <laughs> as I thought. So I decided to go to medical school with the plan of not seeing patients, but of seeing, of creating, the medical school equivalent of the Center for Constitutional Rights. I wanted to work on health issues and have the credentials of a doctor and know what a doctor knows, but I didn't think I would want to see patients. I only wanted to do sort of social justice work related to health care. And then I went to medical school, and I fell in love with patient care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> does, that, does this resonate with, with your own journey? Yeah, like Bernie and Nicole. <laughs> do I get to ask you about that, or does that? Yeah. Yes? Yeah, oh, yeah. So do you guys, what do you guys think about that? Did you go to medical school thinking that it, it was a, a vehicle for doing social justice work, or did you see it as a step away from doing social justice work, or how, or or did you not integrate those at all? I think for me, um, it's an evolving question. Um, I think when you said that medicine, I think is inherently one of the most conservative institutions in our society, and it, it's so interesting to me. Every single day, sometimes feels like a contradiction that I have to. Um, balance between being here for social justice and also navigating the system. What I've learned is that um, I'm also very much so like in my work with the podcast and the Freedom Community Clinic and the Freedom School have just been so dedicated to creating institutions because I think that's so important and that's why your medical school creating that has resonated. Um, However, I, I um, especially during clerkship year, and these two knew, these two know, and a lot of listeners know that like there are times when I actually really do debate whether I want to be a practicing physician, um, because sometimes I do feel like I might be perpetuating kind of the medical industrial complex. But then there's this part of me, especially during clerkship year, where I just love patient care. Mm-hmm. And what I really realize is, it, realize is that patient care reminds me that at the root of social justice is love and compassion. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that can only, for me, uh, be cultivated by a continual interaction with the conditions of, of humanity at its best and, and at its worst. And I really think I see that a lot as a doctor. Yes. And it humbles me every single time. And it makes me develop such compassion and joy that brings so much energy to my social justice work that I'm like, oh, wow, like this is kind of a, it feeds directly into it. But um, it's difficult. It's difficult because I, sometimes I feel like um, I'm like getting to know a system that has inflicted a lot of violence um, and sometimes perpetuating that. But um, knowing that I'm taking what I can and that I have the power to create the practice that I want. So continually evolving. 
I like honestly my social justice background I would have told you starting medical school that I had none um, because of what I thought it would it is right Mm -hmm. I thought like you do certain things and you act a certain way and all of these things to be a social justice person advocate community organizer whatever that is Um, and through medical school, through the post back here at UCSF, I realized that my existence is, and me wanting to go to medical school, is a way of social justice. Um, because my parents also, they grew up in the Pinochet regime. And so a lot of the, the, the values that were instilled in me were because of the experiences they experienced as children during that. Um, and their value of education, brought, bringing us over here for that, um, was just always in existence and I didn't really ever question it and you know I went and did like all the bioscience stuff you know biophysics and stuff like that um, and it was when I was working there that I realized how powerful my existence is because there was a patient who came who would continuously miss appointments and no one thought to question why that was happening um, but the place that I was in required documentation to get into um, although they offered services to everybody you needed documentation to get past the guards. And um, their child had the, one of the rarest forms of cancer, so they had delayed care for months and months, um, and no one thought to ask them why. Mm-hmm. And realizing that, like, had I known a little bit of the pieces here and there, like, my existence would have made a difference there. And now coming and doing more social justice work while at the joint medical program, I realize even more so how that plays a role Um, I'm working a lot with people who were previously detained Mm -hmm. and having them share their stories with me. And although it's not medically related, the fact that I'm here in this place now allows me to elevate their voices in ways that are so powerful to them because they feel, like you said, Bernie, they feel loved. Mm -hmm. They feel like they're being listened to and that these stories are going to go somewhere. Um, And I think like yeah, I, I, I also struggle with the idea of, like, continuing in medicine and doing this whole back and forth because of, like, the harm that I sometimes see medicine do to individuals. But then, again, it's those one-on-one interactions that you have with some folks in clinical care or it, just because you're in the establishment that you're in mm-hmm. um, that just feels like this could make a difference, this will make a difference. And I think, yeah, that's the struggle. Personally, I've always wanted to work with patients. <laughs> I never. It's always happens where it's like I'm like the like the basic one who like wanted to do medicine. Like I don't know. Um, I've just always seen that a part of my practice, but I feel like for similar reasons in that, like I just know the importance and like the value in having a provider who like looks like you or who wants to advocate for you. So like for me, I think medicine was always in part like a vehicle for that social justice. Like I remember all my, all my, like my school essays, like it was like, it was like at the forefront of my mind. Um, Cause I feel like it is so important to have people who are advocating for you and who like, who want to will your good and want to will like your best interests. And like in health is such an important part of like the, how you live your life. Um, and so I think that's always been really important to me. So yeah, I feel like the not wanting to work with patients I can't personally relate to, but I really do like, appreciate and like love hearing like how just like the the initiative that you wanted to take to make sure that health was like considered a priority of like social justice you know 
because um, I feel like it's very easy for people to be like, oh, I want to just like go to medical school so I can like do surgery and cut people open and do this and that or whatever. And it's like, what? Like to me, the, the, I'm like, when people think like this, like it's like always sort of been my mentality of like wanting to make sure that people are supported uplifted getting the care they need and deserve so it is still very like deeply tied to social justice for me as well so it's so interesting to to hear um yours all all three of your perspective on this i think that that um one of the things that i think is really true for me is that if i had i thought oh well maybe i should go to law school right i was working in a group that of lawyers and i thought well maybe i should go to law school and um and I, I felt that I didn't want to do that and, and that there were sort of two reasons. One is I felt that law school meant you could only work, say, in the U.S., and I wasn't still sure where my life would, would take place or where I would want to be. So that was one reason, a very practical reason, um, uh, though there were probably workarounds for that. Um, but the second thing was um, that I worried a little bit that if I went to law school, that I would get lost in the world of words, in which it was all about words and theories, and yes, and I, I'm not most many many. I have many close friends. Let me let me restate. Most of my close friends are civil rights lawyers. Um, so um, this is not uh, this is not at all uh, about about uh, that about the profession. It's more about my. My, my, my feeling that that was a, f- that, that my, my fear of that. And I, I love what you said about how it's so grounding to be with patients and, and to really feel that social justice is at the very day, at the end of the day, motivated by feelings of sympathy and empathy for the individual other. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there's a famous quote from Che Guevara that says that the the true revolutionary is motivated by great feelings of love and you know sorry and he was a doctor and so was Salvador Allende in Chile where Nicole's parents are from and so there's a there's a history of a of of physician social activists in Latin America and I was not situating myself in that tradition but now I've come to see that I am uh, you know, in in a small way, situated within that tradition, and that makes sense to me uh, when I think about what being in medicine gives you. Mm-hmm. That 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 it can give you if you're open to it. That appreciation mm-hmm. for the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wait, Alicia. So I just imagine you, young intellectual, so many ambitions, dreams to create your own medical school. You come, you go into medical school. How do they receive you during internship and residency, now as a faculty member? So I was very fortunate. And one of the things that I tell people all the time is that I was told at Yale that I would never get into medical school because I... Haters are our motivators. Yeah. <laughs> uh, around my sophomore year, I really was struggling with the challenge of of sort of what we would now call bringing your full self to school. In other words, my experiences in Argentina were so different from the experiences of other people around me. And I just didn't feel, and not only that, I think there were also challenges on a, on a, more, on a more personal level, uh, challenges about how to come out and feeling that not only had I 
um, that I had lost my um, the worries about losing my family because of, of because of that, and so I ended up um, having to take uh, a year off because I, I flunked out. I failed all my classes because I didn't go to the exams, um, and then uh, came back, finished up, and did fine, but not fantastically. And then was told, "Forget it. You'll never get into medical school." And that was okay because I, I had only thought in passing about medical school because I worked at a health clinic uh, for my work-study project. Um, but then when I applied, I only got into two medical schools, but one of them was Einstein. And the reason I think I got into Einstein in New York is that Einstein was created by exiles, by Jewish exiles from World War II. And they, I wrote in my application about my sort of story of having to, we left Argentina from one day to another, the whole, the whole narrative of being in exile and trying to figure out who you are and what you're about. And, um, and I think that that resonated with at least some of the people on the admissions committee and they decided to give me a chance. And I felt very, very supported there. It wasn't until I came to UCSF that I felt uh, a l that it was more complicated. Um, I think that at, at UCSF, uh, I came here for residency, and I uh, had wanted to do my residency at San Francisco General, but I, I didn't get in there. Um, long story, totally, <laughs> totally about uh, about racism and assumptions, mm -hmm. because I was told. How come you say you're Latina? And I'm like, because I'm Latina. And they're like, well, I know an Argentine, and the, that person doesn't consider herself Latina. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And and it was like, well, look at you. Uh, li literally, this is my interview. Look at you. And because I'm like most Argentines, I'm, I'm light-skinned. And, um, and I'm like, well, you know, if you ask my p patients, my Latina patients, they'll tell you I'm Latina. Mm -hmm. um, let's, let's ask the people who matter. Um, and, uh, but I, I, got so, I got so upset in the interview um, that they didn't take me. And, uh, um, and it was my first introduction to UCSF, which didn't feel good. But I did match in the other UCSF primary care program where I got a great education and managed to make my way back to San Francisco General. And we're so lucky to have you now lead so many of these amazing initiatives. I know me and Nicole were part of Prof Path uh, two summers ago. And wow, I mean, we always talk about like the hidden curriculum that just like some people just know. And with families who have been doctors in America for ages, they just have this certain know-how. And coming in as like first in our families to go into medicine or really be at an institution like UCSF where like, wow, this is what y'all were talking about or like this is the little know-hows and knowledge and actual things that we have to know as we're going up in medicine. So um, Prof Path has been super influential and I know that y'all were part of, what program was that? Alas. Alas. So, yeah, mm -hmm. and then me and Nicole last summer did Alas, which is like a three-day program uh, that helped UIM students learn like who are going to be going to clerkships this year. So like our class um 
just learn skills to make themselves like best prepared for oral presentations, note writing, just those kind of clinical skills that no one really teaches you, but that everyone's evaluating you and judging you based off of. Um, so just giving us a little bit of extra guidance and assistance with that with lots of great UIM mentors um, and like lots of small group practicing presentations, practicing all that note writing, stuff like that super helpful. Yeah, and I think what's important about both of these spaces is that they're for students of color mainly, and I think that's so important. I think I did alas with a couple other students from my cohort at my school, and they commented on how active I was in alas and how like how I was raising my hand and I felt comfortable. And actually it took a moment of reflection to to really understand what that was. Why was I so comfortable? Why did I feel like making a mistake wasn't so bad in that space? And then in um, our prof path, we learned about emotions and how emotions play into your ability to communicate in as a, a part of a larger thing, which is this healthcare system that we're learning. Um, and how a lot of us coming into this, that's very foreign, mm-hmm. but it, it's inbuilt to some, some people's family lives. Um, and we don't even know that until we get and we hit a wall. We're like, wait, what's happening here? And I think having both of those things with a safe group, to me what felt like a safe group, um, was really, really helpful in my education and really pivotal to know that, like, yeah, I feel strange in this place, but, like, when I'm in these groups, I feel like I belong, you know? And I think kind of talking to your point about, you know, the racism that you face. I think also I am white presenting as well. Um, and I think, you know, the other day at my school, I was talking in Spanish with my mom outside of the door and I'm going to go in and this woman, the door locks at a certain point and I didn't have the thing on my, on like little card to get in. Um, and I'm speaking in Spanish and the woman slams the door in my face and looks at me and looks at me up and down and walks away. And so had I not been speaking Spanish, I don't think that would have happened to me. And so I think the idea that these things happen and it, and that we're in this place where we do have privilege because of the way that we appear yep. and using that privilege, but also understanding that I speak Spanish at home. My parents, not they don't look white presenting, right. you know, and so what that looks like, too. Yeah, well, thank you for the lovely comments on the programs. I think that... Um, one of the things that that has been great for me is to just try to remember, and I remember very well, all the things I didn't know um, from coming from, I come from a, you know, coming from my family and my background, what I didn't know, and then trying to make that more visible. And at the same time, I think one of the things that's been great for me and and that I, right now I'm working on some programs at San Francisco State and working on programs at Cal Fresno, um, is that as someone, as part of the Latinx Center of Excellence, we have programs, two undergraduate programs, one at, at, at Fresno and State and one at, at San Francisco State. And I, I have tremendous educational privilege. Um, and because of that, I have a lot of blind spots Right, mm-hmm. a lot of things like ways that well, of course, one knows X, or of course this, and it is so, it is so um, interesting and so personally challenging to always be thinking about oneself in lots of different ways as someone who might be marginal in one system and yet super privileged in another way, mm-hmm. and that 
we're all, to a certain extent, certainly by virtue of being physicians or physicians in training, we are enormously privileged. And how do we, how do we um, not only uh, use that, but also how do we learn from that in, about um, ways in which we're, ways in which, for me at least, ways, which, ways in which I'm blind or ways in which I just hadn't thought about it. I'll give you an example from today. Um, we were looking at, um, we have a lot of applications for our college, you know, for our college programs. We're very happy. But we noticed that many, many, many people started applying and didn't finish the application. And when looking at that, one of the things that threw them off is, are you a full-time student? And we had put that in because when I wrote the grant, I said, we, we're going to take full-time students and we're going to teach them in the summer and we're going to do this and the other. Why? Because I came out of an educational system where you were in college and you were full-time. But instead, average time, average graduation time is six years at these schools. And most students work and most students are part-time. And so I designed a program that doesn't work um, because I was so uh, ignorant of, of the reality. And of course, we're going to change that, and we're going to work, and we're going to get it changed. But it shows you how you can be woke in one area mm -hmm. and totally out of it in another area, mm -hmm. and how important it is to be constantly checking things out, the facts. Well, why did so many people apply, and yet they didn't finish the application? What's that about? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. that really does. And thank you for mentioning that. I think. That's just so powerful that you even recognize and name that and openly share that because um, it's, it, it's just that willingness to keep learning and realize that like regardless of our like status and how much education that we have, that it's such a constant learning process to really be advocates for social justice because we are constantly evolving in our social positions throughout this world. So let me ask you, 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 you mentioned that you weren't sure that you wanted to be part of medicine and, and the healthcare system. Can I ask about that? I wonder <laughs> to what extent, and we, can, we don't have to talk about it, no. but I wonder to what extent that's personal and to what extent that's generational, or, or maybe that's not the right word. And, and I just wonder if you could just share a little bit about your experience, because once I was in residency, I, just, I never wondered again whether I had made the right choice. Mm -hmm. You know, I might wonder about my mix in my job. Should I do more of this or less of that or, you know. But, but I, 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 I didn't feel like, oh, I'm part of something that is more bad than good. I felt, I feel great about being a doctor. Now, of course, I practice at San Francisco General. Mm -hmm. But I do feel, gr I feel great about being a, a clinician. Mm -hmm. So, so I'd love to hear a little bit more from you all on your yeah. thoughts on that. Yeah. Uh, just for our listeners, this is also just kind of an overarching topic that we were talking about before this episode, about uh, before recording, about just intergenerational advocacy and um, how this is going to be super interesting conversation. So, huh? I think from my perspective, um, what comes to mind for me is that. Uh, I come from families and communities of which um, have do not trust medicine, continue to not trust it, and 
at first I was like, oh, this is really interesting. I don't know why they feel that way. But being in medicine, I witness why daily from, and I still think that um, because I'm the first in my family to go to, go to medical school, I still, still have the, the nearness to the patient experience. Mm-hmm. And I always hope to keep that. That's a promise I've always made to myself to always remember what it means to be a patient. And so I'm very hypersensitive to that. And even in the best institutions, so I'm at Kaiser mm-hmm. San Francisco, and I witness that uh, very often in very subtle ways and very explicit ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes I think that, uh, sometimes I really question whether the training which is so intense, very biomedical focused, um, very uh, just like not acknowledging a lot of times about work-life balance and just like emotions will really enable me to become the healer and activist to the community that I want to be. And so that's something that's come to mind because I do witness that a lot. And of course there are thoughts of which like, yes, like I have the power to change that and practice medicine my own way Um, but I think that there are some times where certain protocols or bureaucracies prevent that from happening at the pace that I really do believe should be done and that's why sometimes even with this podcast even with the freedom school even with the freedom clinic we don't ask for the permission of institutions to create these things we say we're creating this podcast we're creating this freedom school we're doing these clinic events because our community needs it now in this way, in the way that we need to bring it. And we can't depend on asking for these institutions' permission and approval for us to do it like their way. Like we are the only people who can actually solve it our way. So that's just something that comes to mind. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think mine is very similar to yours, Bernie. I think. Um, starting medical school, like my parents, for instance, I think you do a lot of work with language concordance and things like that. And so my parents to this day will not go to the doctor's office and ask for a Spanish speaking individual or like anything because they think that they'll get worse care if they do. And um, for the longest time when I was already decided I wanted to go into medicine, I was like, oh, it's just like that one bad person that like doesn't want, you know, that makes you feel that way. I'm sorry. And like, you know, but then starting medical school, was kind of rough because it wasn't just that one person, you know? I, like, started preceptorship and stuff like that and realized, like, wait, no. Like, it's true. Sometimes people do get worse care Mm -hmm. if they start speaking the language that they speak. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, that kind of clash of ideas to me was, like, oh, do I want to do this? Is this what I want to do? And then also realizing, like, again, like, medical school is not teaching me how to really be with people, like how to really heal people. And like, it's teaching me how to take care of like these physical things, right? But it, yeah, I felt like the things that I thought I would learn in medical school, I wasn't learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I feel like now I'm on like the other cusp, I'm like at the hill, the top of the hill where it could go either way. And I'm really starting to see the other side and seeing like how Bernie you wrote like or said that we like we can be that change and we can do that and maybe we can even do that outside of the system you know maybe like how you imagined a medical school of your own 
like doing something like that, like outside of the system to really address what we feel is an injustice that's happening still to this day. And I think, and, and also seeing like amazing doctors. I think I've changed my view and because of the people that I've interacted with in the past year and a half, right? And that's been a huge thing. Yeah, that are- within a system. Mm-hmm. Is very constrained, and yep. your time with patients is constrained. What mm-hmm. you can give, what you can't give, how you approach things is very constrained. And nonetheless, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I I think I think you. I think you have. Um, I think you have very valid points, and I'm trying to remember why I didn't. I thought or didn't think about it, and I, I, I don't remember. And I think that even now I, I feel more, uh, I, I think maybe I'm not um, challenging enough. So, for example, um, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, okay, well, I get, you know, whatever it is, 15, 20 minutes to see my patients, right? And what I've learned is how to become good within that system and take care of certain problems and turf certain other problems and so on. Um, And I've done a lot less challenging of saying, no, why do we have to work this way? Let's rethink it, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I I, I can do that a little bit in a paper, but in in, in actual actual, uh, day-to-day work, I've done very little of that. And um, and I, I think it'll be fantastic to have uh, folks coming up who who might be able to say to be able to to be able to center that. I think my gener- I think we've been very centered on access to 15 minute appointments for all, <laughs> which is a big step forward. Yeah. And maybe if we get that, uh, maybe after that it would be it would be actually. Let's see if we can. Make this a, a different system. I don't know. How do you how do you see it, Evie? No, I I completely I agree with that. I feel like you do do so much for like different communities, and I feel like it can get hard when you're giving and pouring in one way that you can't necessarily also be fighting and acting in that way. Um, and so I I think it's totally understandable. But also I I when you were saying all that, I was just thinking of someone like Bernie who's very much like rewrite the system like do it and like and like how just thinking of like the intergenerational advocacy how luckily there are people who do want to um and it's really hard to sort of upend a system that you like that we're sort of like just getting our feet into you know it's like how do we say like yeah exactly right like i mean we've gotten little tastes of it but we have it hasn't even become our lives fully yet um so it's just sort of like hard to imagine like what will it be like? Will people? Well, I think people will take it seriously, but like you know, sort of like what impact can we have? Like, oh, you know, let's just try to make sure we do this. I think it's very easy to be like, let's just try to make sure we get this one thing before we start trying for something else. But it's like you know, might as well just start trying everything at the same time because mm-hmm. <laughs> by the time we're waiting for this one thing to happen, right. like this next thing will never happen. And like, mm-hmm. I always think of. Um, when we were talking about like how residents have to work, uh, this is like a few months ago, we were talking about how residents have to work such crazy long hours, and I remember Bernie saying, "You people weren't fighting for, weren't fighting for like less hours or whatever." It's like, I mean, of course they were, but she was like, "I just can't believe there are people like who weren't fighting harder for this before me, so now I have to go through this too." I remember you saying that, and I was just like, "Honestly, you have to like." Yeah, no, it's actually I know I know it's gotten better, but then it was still just like the idea of you know having. 
um, physicians who are already burdened with like so many other things and like you know trying to take care of so many things and also trying to um, advocate for themselves and make sure that they get the time that they need when they're just trying to live and then also making sure that people after them have it nice I think it's so hard uh, to balance but may have thought a lot more about health and your role as healers than I did because again I was coming I, I didn't want to go into medicine to heal I wanted to go into medicine to do social justice work, like really, I, I really didn't think I was going to see patients, well, that is and it it is. But you you know what you know what I'm saying. So for example, there is this whole other strain in terms of a critique of medicine, be it you know from even before my time, the your bodies, uh, our bodies ourselves, right? A feminist critique of medicine that was much more about centering women's health and less centering the doctor taking care of the women, you know, mm-hmm. type thing. Um, and then there are definitely challenges from all sorts of cultures about the role of uh, Western medicine and non-Western medicine and so on and so forth. I didn't come from any of those traditions, and maybe I haven't incorporated those critiques as much as I should, and that's why having an interdisciplinary, multi, very diverse sort of broad coalition of of, of of people looking at the problems in medicine is, is really exciting because it makes it makes someone like me stop and say, oh, right, I haven't thought about that in a while. Mm-hmm. So that's, that is fantastic, yeah. right? Yeah. I think you make a really good point, which is actually a very recent revelation that I've had. I think I do see it maybe as a generational thing because I think more people are being open to it. But I, I mean, I also during college was very social justice-minded, and yes. I forgot what that meant. Um, I always put it in this way. I knew what I was against, but I didn't know what I was for. And I, there was so much anger, and there was so much passion, really. Um, But it really wasn't until I'd say two years ago, even a little bit after the start of medical school, when I realized that wow, I can, I can know what I want to take away. I I can know what I want destroyed. Um, Like. I know I'm against racism, classism, homophobia, all that stuff. But wow, when people ask me, like, what is the world I envision? Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> and I realized that um, for my healing work and my work as a healer and a future doctor, it's about the power of imagining better. And that's the brave work. It's about, it's about not simply tearing down the injustices of an institution, but rather um, doing the brave work of reimagining what not is what is not yet, and that damn I have to create that, mm-hmm. and I also have to embody that, which mm-hmm. has been the most difficult thing, because I realized that there was a point in time in my social justice work when I realized that I didn't find myself worthy of the love and the care that I wanted for other people. I was so angry, and I was putting myself on the line for so many different causes that I put my health Mm -hmm. at risk. And I was like, how am I telling people to like live their life when I can't even embody that myself? And so being able to really solidify those practices um, and being very, and practicing the, the boundaries and the affirmations that I need to envision that life for myself has been very difficult because medicine uh, it's very conservative and it's like this is how it's always been but I'm like I will not let you put me down when you try to pimp me I will very confidently say I do not know but I am paying for my medical school education 
please teach me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like that, and being able to have that certain sense of intactness and confidence and know that for me to be a healer in this world, I have to embody that myself. And that's how these systems are going to change. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to do a shout out to Margot, who was the person who at Freedom School who gave us that question about like, what are you for? What is the world that you imagine? And I think that was also really impactful for me is to really think about that. Like, what are you for? And also, like, that cool stuff is happening that students are speaking up. Like, mm-hmm. and, and faculty, too. Like, step one scores pass-fail yeah. soon. Isn't that great? Right? Like, what does that mean for students of color, really, honestly? And so, like, work is happening because people are staying true to their values. And it's across generations that it's happening. That's right. right? So I think it's just, like, inspirational also to see that. I'm curious to know, uh, Alicia, what have been some of the biggest challenges or barriers that you've experienced throughout your career? I think the ones we're sort of talking about in a way, um, marginality, being marginalized, um, and um, feeling that the work I do isn't that valued. Um, The flip side of that is that I um, I do feel very sustained by and very supported by my patients mm-hmm. and by my students, by you know, by students, and by a community of colleagues who share the same values. Um, but it can be hard, you know, at UCSF uh, uh, and at similar academic institutions. It, you know, it's very. Um, they're very, uh, they create their own, these are complex worlds that create their own culture and their own status things and how, and, and you have to really say to yourself, it's okay, I need to stay true to what I think is important. And if other people find that important and worthy of the system acknowledgement, fabulous. But if they don't, that's okay too, <laughs> right? But it, that can be hard, and it can also be hard to just uh, figure out how to, Within the constraints of the system, how to uh, how to make it work? How you know um, how to do things? How to make choices that allow you to do the work you want and uh, sustain a career and and so on? I, I don't want. I'm not trying to be vague. I think this is. I, I hope this makes sense. It's really it, it, it's a challenging environment. Um, on the other hand, I also love it. Like where else would um, there are not that many places where you can marry two things that are very important to me, caring for the community of patients I take care of at at San Francisco General, uh, all poor people from all over the world and from here, (laughs) and with um, a real academic excellence, which I also, it's really important to me. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would be happy in an institution that had the patients but didn't have the academic excellence, and I know that I wouldn't be happy in an institution that was all about academic excellence and didn't have those patients. So I feel very, very lucky um, uh, to, to, to do that and, and to be here and, um, and so lucky to get to uh, interact with, with students and, 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 and folks who, who do challenge and think. And, you know, how great is it that we get to be learning and thinking all the time? And how great is it that... Uh, there are days when, when I'm 
writing or whatever, and I can think, oh, is what I'm doing worth it? Is it important? Does it really add to the world if I do another article or do this or do that? But I never feel that way when I'm seeing patients. Mm -hmm. and, and in fact, I feel that way very, not very often at all. So how lucky am I and how lucky are we as, 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 uh, to be in a field where at the end of the day, at the end of our careers, you get to say, yeah, what I did kind of mattered. Mm -hmm. I did contribute to the world. Mm -hmm. And how great is that, you know? that in addition to whatever one chooses to do in one's personal life, raise a family or not, or be this or be that or not, you know, be in a relationship or not, and you want to do all of those things well, but how lucky are we to, to get to do stuff that m matters? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think as as you've been speaking, I think you you keep calling back to what it's like of your values, right? I think um, growing up in Argentina and then now even you know you just keep coming back to those values, and I'm just curious at your timeline of that. Like, is did you explore that during your like social justice interests that you were you were doing before medical school, or was that during medical school? Was it is it like a lifelong thing? Lifelong. Yeah. Thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things, I, I, because of the ge this generational effect of being in Argentina during a very special time in Argentina's history, I was only 14, 15. I was 15 when we left. Mm -hmm. So this was, it, I'm very imprinted, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. So this was a lifelong thing. And in fact, while I was in medical school, I was so worried that I wouldn't learn the medicine if I was doing political work is I, I swore to myself, no, 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 I will study and study and study and, uh, and put it aside if I have to because I really needed, uh, because I, I had already done a, a lot. I had spent four years doing that full time, not to mention during my undergraduate when I had been spending a lot more time doing political work and social activist work than I had actually been studying. But, um, but yeah, so no, it was, it's a lifelong thing. And what's great is people always say, oh, I'm worried that medicine will change me. And no, we're adults. You know, you're adults. <laughs> unfortunately or unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, you won't change in fundamental ways. What changes is more associated with aging and associated with other things, with like becoming parents or other things. Not so much the, the sojourn through, uh, through the medical training. That's my view. I think that's the first time I've heard anyone say that. I know. Yeah. I was like, I am grown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I am. You're right. And I was like, I'm not going to change. <laughs> well, you're going to change all the time. Yeah. We all are. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my you, values you, you, will be. Yeah, I mean, you're not, you're not 12 years old. You're not 15 years old. You're not even 22 anymore, right? You've, you, you've gotten through some things. You've made some decisions in your life as an adult about who you are. You still have some very big choices to make in terms of what patient population you want to work with. That's a really big one. Um, and, but, but other than that, you can, you can, you can keep your values in no matter what, what field of medicine you go into or how you decide to, to, how much you decide to do clinical practice plus minus other things or not. I have a last question for you. 
What do you envision for the future of medicine? Mm. On uh, today with COVID-19, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the future of medicine is unbelievably bright because I'm speaking with the three of you. I think you have no idea how much joy and hope it gives uh, it gives me to, to speak with you. So congratulations on what you've done in putting together these podcasts and in all of the work that you're doing at our institution. And um, thank you, uh, all three of you, very much. Thank you for thank being you. here.